Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. Vintage Church is a movement of truth, love, and community. For more information, visit VintageChurchNola.com. Here is this week's message. Hey, good morning. We're doing something a little different. Many of you are like, what in the world is going on? We don't preach yet, but we are today. And so coming out of our greet time over the next few weeks, you guys can actually stand with me. What? We're going to read scripture together. Uh, But we're going to be doing something a little different as we transition into the sermon for the next uh, six weeks. As we walk through this series, Talk to Me, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer together. And so what I want to do before every single sermon over the next six weeks is recite the Lord's Prayer together. Some of you might be extremely familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Some of you might be new to you. But I think one of the best things that we can do to prepare our hearts is to recite these words together. So they're going to be on the screen, and we will say these words together. Let's recite this together. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Well, if I've never met you before, my name is Dustin Turner. I serve as the lead pastor of Vintage Church. And welcome again to Vintage Church. I'm excited for this morning because we are kicking off this new series called Talk to Me, Learning to Pray Like Jesus. And there's no better place to turn to than the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught his disciples in Matthew 6 how to pray. They asked him, Lord, how do we pray? And he said, pray like this. And as a part of this series, we're kicking back off our anticipate vision. We spent all of 2019 focused on what the Lord is doing in the life of Vintage Church, which we are calling Anticipate, and we're moving into 2020 with that as well. And I want to encourage you, you probably saw a table out in our lobby. We have a ton of different resources available for you. Number one, if you're new to Vintage and you want to learn more about our Anticipate vision, there's a little booklet out there on that table. You can grab that and learn more about that vision. Also, we kicked off our uh, 40 days of prayer starting on Wednesday. Starting on Wednesday, I stopped drinking coffee as I fast with the Lord, and it's been good. I've been drinking tea, not as much caffeine, but it's a nice change as I seek the Lord with you. But two things that are out there on that table if you didn't get them last week. Number one, we have these Anticipate Prayer Bracelets. You can grab one of those, wear that. Every time you look down on it, it's a reminder to be praying. Number two, we have this bookmark. You can grab one of those. You can put that in your Bible or a book you're reading. And this bookmark is a reminder of what we're praying for. So today is the 12th, right? We are praying for increased discipleship through life groups. Starting tomorrow, we're going to pray for a ministry partner in our city, the Baptist Friendship House. And so every day for the next 40 days, you can find everything that we're praying through on this bookmark. That's out there as well. Also, one more thing. We have a new color in our journals. We have these black journals. We have... uh, gray ones and we have green ones out there but this is free to you if you want to grab a journal inside it's got the anticipate vision as well as 
how we like to encourage reading the Bible. And so this is a great resource for journaling Bible reading as well as journaling your prayers if you want to do that. All of that is out there in the lobby. Feel free to grab those on your way out. We're going to be in Matthew 6 today. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, lift up your hand. Our Connect team would love to get you a copy of God's Word as our gift from us to you. I want you to think about the Lord's Prayer. How many of you would say, I'm at least familiar with the Lord's Prayer? Raise a hand. That's almost everybody in this room. And here's the reality about prayer, right? There's something universal about it. Almost every single person in some form or another prays. And as I thought about prayer this week, I thought about something that all of us say, that they say on television, that they say on the radio. Whenever something happens in life, what do we say? Our thoughts and prayers are with you. The reality is, is every single one of us, almost every single one of us prays. But as we think about prayer, as we look to the Lord's Prayer, what I want us to think about is these two elements. Why do we pray and how should we pray? Because the reality is, is probably everybody prays for a different purpose or a different reason and how we pray often differs. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, and we're going to see why Jesus, number one, says we should pray, and then number two, over the next six weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus teaches us to pray. To kind of have an understanding, a common definition of prayer, I looked at Tim Keller's book on prayer, and this is how he defines prayer, which I think is a great way to think about prayer. Prayer is a personal, communicative, everybody say that word, (laughs) a personal, communicative response to the knowledge of God. Because God has revealed himself to us, we are now able, personally, intimately, able to communicate to God. And as we think about prayer, I want you to keep that understanding and that definition in mind. And this morning, here's the question that I want to put before you. There's going to be a lot of questions, but here's the big question this morning. Do you pray more for the praise of man or because of the love of God? That's what Jesus is really getting at in these first few verses. He's asking that question. Do you pray more for the praise of man or because of the love of God? Of God. And so let's look at Matthew 6. We're actually going to look at the first few verses before the Lord's Prayer this morning in verses 5 through 8. And here's Jesus teaching on prayer. This is what he says. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so as we look at this passage, I want us to think about this question. Why do you pray? Why do you pray? And as we think about that question, I want to ask you another question. 
Who do you want to see you? I really think that that's the first question that Jesus is kind of addressing in verses 5 through 6. Who do you want to see you? Look again at what he says in verses 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to do what? Stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners. Why? That they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, here's the first thing, and this isn't even the point of the sermon, but it's important for you to get this. What does Jesus assume right off the bat? What does he say at the very beginning of verse 5? When you pray, what's Jesus assuming? That we're praying, right? The very first thing, Jesus makes the assumption that his disciples and the ones that he's, that he's teaching, that they are praying. And so now he's teaching them why they need to pray. So for you and I, this moment in just these first three words is a reminder and a gut check for us. Are we praying? Are we seeking the Lord? Are we talking to God? And then Jesus moves on to the context of what is going on. The first thing that he talks about is the places of prayer. The places of prayer. First, it's the synagogue. The synagogue were the Jewish places of worship. There was the temple, and then there were the synagogues. In the ancient world, after the temple was destroyed in uh, the, like 586 B.C., all of Israel was scattered. And so they didn't have the temple to go to worship to, so they built houses of worship that were called synagogues, and that's where the people gathered to worship and to pray. And so what Jesus is talking about is the synagogue, Jewish places of worship. Men, in particularly regards to prayer, would be asked to stand up and pray out loud. And so what Jesus is talking about is this is an opportunity for someone to publicly pray and be heard by other people. The other place of prayer are street corners. In the Jewish world, people would pray on the street corners during public fasts. The people of Israel would call public fasts where everybody would fast. But they would also pray in public when the trumpet was blown for the afternoon sacrifice. And so two common places that Jesus knows he had seen and people would be praying was in the synagogue and at the street corner. Number two, times of prayer. Jews prayed three times per day, morning, afternoon, and evening. And actually that practice of praying three times a day carried over into the early church. And early Christians would be praying three times a day, morning, afternoon, and evening. Third, look at the posture of prayer. Jews often prayed standing with their hands raised. And so that's what Jesus talks about. They're standing in the street corner. The reason they're standing is because Jews would often pray like this. Because they're looking up to heaven where God dwells. It was only in dire situations that they would kneel to pray. When they were fasting or when they were broken over sin. And so Jesus is kind of rehearsing all of these context clues. And these would be things that the people would have understood and known. But the point that Jesus is getting to in the context is the motive of prayer. The motive of prayer. It's the why we pray. And what he begins to talk about is the hypocrites. 
you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, here's the interesting thing about a hypocrite, right? We know what that word refers to. It says someone who says something or believes something or acts a certain way, but then in another instance does something contrary to that. But the word hypocrite actually comes from the ancient actors in the Greek world. So in the Greek world, they wouldn't just, you know, put on makeup and act a part. They would actually wear masks. I've got some pictures of masks that you can see. And they would wear masks in the ancient world. So an actor would put this mask on and play the part. And that word carried this idea that you were one person when the mask was off. And when you put the mask on, you became the other person. And you can see kind of the imagery behind this idea. And this is what Jesus is getting at. A hypocrite is somebody who has a mask and is acting like that's who they are, but really they're behind the mask. And they take the mask off and who they really are is the person behind the mask. And so what Jesus is getting at is a hypocrite is someone who's not only deceiving other people, but is honestly deceiving themselves. Because they think they're one thing, but they're really another. And that's getting to the motive of prayer. Why were these people praying in public places? They were praying in public places because they prayed not to be seen by God, but to be seen and praised by others. And it wasn't just so that they could be heard, but they wanted to be seen as righteous. They wanted everyone to look around them and say, Man, look at those guys, look at those gals praying in public. They must be some of the most holy people I know. And Jesus is saying, that's the wrong motive altogether. One commentator says this about the motive of prayer. He says, the person who prays more in public than in private reveals that he's less interested in God's approval than in human praise a tough question for every single one of us is do you pray more in private than you do in public why minimally does your private prayer life match your public prayer life because that's getting to the motive of your heart the entire Sermon on the Mount, if you go back and you read Matthew 5 through 7, the entire Sermon on the Mount is not necessarily about what we do, but it's about why we do it, getting to the motive of the heart. Jesus and God, they look deeper than just the actions of what we do. They look to why we do certain things. And Jesus is getting at the motive of prayer. And so for us, why do we pray? Don't forget, Jesus has already assumed what? That we pray. And so he gets at the motive of prayer. Why do we pray? And what does Jesus say? Verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut your door. If you do that, who's going to see you? No one, right? But one person sees you. Your father, you pray to your father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We pray to be seen by our Father. Because the point of prayer, the motive of prayer is not to be seen as righteous, not to be looked at as like, wow, look how incredibly holy they are. But to be seen and heard 
by God. One commentator says this about our motive in prayer. He says, the motivation of private prayer is the intimacy of communion with God in our heart, which is at the center of all prayer, whether it happens to be given publicly or privately. Because here's the interesting thing about what Jesus is teaching in this passage. The issue is not necessarily public prayer. I mean, you get that, right? There were many times in many places where Jesus prayed in public where people around him, where his disciples around him heard him pray. The issue for Jesus was not that we were praying in public. The issue was why were we praying in public? Why will we pray in public? Which gets again to the heart. It's not about praying in public. He's, the issue is the motive of the heart. Why do you want to pray? I thought about that this week. And just thinking about all the things that we do in life, right? When we do something good, do we do something good just because we want to do something good? Or are we doing it because we want to be seen? I mean, how many times have you, you know, served somebody or uh, maybe even read your Bible or prayed and then you post it on social media? Why are you, listen, posting it on social media, is that evil? No, some of you, yes. Don't do that, Right? It's not evil to post on social media or to post what you're doing on social media, but before you post on social media, here's, here is 21st century application from what Jesus is teaching. Before you post on social media, ask yourself, why am I posting on social media? Because the point of why you're doing what you're doing, if you go and serve somebody or you go love somebody, you go care for someone, and then you post about it, why are you posting? That other people would look and see, man, look how incredibly holy Dustin is. Or are you just doing that because you're excited about it and your heart motive was genuine before the Lord? Because that's part of the other piece of all of this, right? Not, no one in this room can judge my heart. Now, you can look at my life, you can look at my actions, you can see what I do, and you can make assumptions about the motives of my heart. But you can't peer into my heart. And I can't peer into your heart. So you and I, we have no idea. All we have to do is trust one another and build trust with one another that we can trust the motives of our heart. But there's one person who sees the motive of our heart. And that's our Father in heaven. So the challenge for us as we think about applying this practically in our lives is, listen, we've got to be cautious and careful to judge one another's motives because you just don't know. But in your own life, you better be checking your heart to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Do something nice for my wife. Click. Check this out. Why? So I can say, Rachel, I love you. Or I can show everybody else what an incredible husband I am. Right? Why is that funny? <laughs> why do we do that? We're checking the motives of our heart. Do you pray more for the praise of man or because of the love of God? That's what Jesus is getting at. So why do we pray? First, I ask that question, who do you want to see you? 
I think the second question that Jesus gets at in verses 7 through 8 is this question. Who do you want to hear you? Who do you want to see you? And then in the last part of this passage, who do you want to hear you? Look at what Jesus says in verses 7 through 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, again, what's Jesus assuming? That we're praying. Look at what he says in verse 7. When you pray, Jesus is assuming again that we're praying, that we're speaking to the Father, that we're building a relationship with God. And then he gets into, again, the context of prayer. Number one, the manipulation of prayer. When he talks about the Gentiles, the Gentiles were considered pagans. There's two categories in the Bible, those who were of Jewish descent and everyone else. Everyone else are Gentiles. Also, did you notice how Jesus is an equal opportunity offender? Right? He calls out the Jews, and then he says, hey, Gentiles. So what he's reminding us, and listen, it doesn't matter what your religious background is. It doesn't matter your cultural background. This is an issue for all of us. The why we pray and the how we pray. And so he speaks to the Gentiles next, and he uses them as an example. They were considered pagans because they didn't worship the God of the Old Testament. They didn't worship Yahweh. And what Jesus says to them is that they heap up empty phrases. That's a unique phrase in the Bible. Literally, it only occurs here. And when it's referred to, it it really kind of has this meaning of babbling. That someone who heaps up empty phrases is babbling. Or it's like endless repetition, which virtually uh, leads to meaningless gibberish. That's, That's what Jesus is referring to here. And this is what that kind of uh, connotation has. Pagans thought if they named all of their gods... So in the ancient world, right, they were polytheistic. They had many gods that they worshipped. If they named all of their gods, and then if they addressed their petitions to each one of them, every single thing that they needed in life, and they addressed every single god with all of their requests, and then if they repeated themselves a few times, they would have a better chance of being heard. Now, before you say, that's crazy, Think about your own prayer life. How many times do we pray to God like that? There's two examples of this in the Bible. One is in the Old Testament, 1 Kings 18. That's where uh, Elijah the prophet goes against the, the, uh, the prophets of Baal. I've told you that's one of my favorite Bible stories. Because at the end, he literally kills every single Baal prophet. If you go to Israel... And you go to Mount Carmel where all of this took place. There's a massive statue of Elijah with a knife in one hand and the head of a prophet in the other. That's an exciting Bible story. And in this context of all of that happening, here's what 1 Kings 18.26 says. And they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal. That was a pagan god of fertility. Look look how long they called upon the name of Baal. From morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. So literally, for three hours, they prayed, O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. O Baal, answer us. 
but there was no voice and no one answered. I love how the text described them. And they limped around the altar that they had made. So again, we see this kind of idea of babbling or repeated prayer. Look at Acts 19. Paul is visiting Ephesus. And in Ephesus, the god Artemis was a significant god. And the text says, but when they recognized that he was a Jew, that is Paul, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So two examples that we see, Old Testament and New Testament, of what this looks like, this manipulation of prayer. And what Jesus is getting at is he's saying, we don't have to pray like that. And again, he speaks to the motive of prayer. Why did they try to manipulate in prayer? Well, number one, the distrust of God. Because they didn't trust God, they felt like they had to plead with him. Now, I immediately, as I read that this week, thought about my children. <laughs> my kids, when they want something, plead with me, right? And then they, what they try to do is they try to break me down, right? It's like an interrogation, and they just break, they just keep going and keep going and keep, they want that toy, they want that ice cream, they want that thing, they will just ask and ask and ask and ask. And they're trying to break dad down. When all along, all they had to do was ask once. And I already know my answer. I mean, they're going to give it to them or not, right? We do the same thing to God. And what Jesus is getting at is, listen, we don't have to try and manipulate God in prayer. Because he not only sees us in prayer, he hears us in prayer. So when my kids ask for something and they repetitively keep asking it, I tell them, what? You don't have to keep asking. I heard you the first time. I heard them the first time. I know what they want. Now, I might have to think about it. I might have to process it. God is the same way for us. He has heard us the first time. And we need to trust that if we have prayed to the Father, he's heard us. We don't have to try and manipulate God for what we want. The second motive of prayer that I think Jesus really speaks to in this entire passage is the praise of people. They wanted others around them to hear them pray. So part of this is, yes, the distrust of God. They didn't trust that God was hearing them. They didn't trust that God would answer their prayer. But part of being vocal and being out loud and being in front of all of these people is they wanted to make sure that other people heard them. Why? Because the motive of their heart was not pure. They would have rather been heard for the praise of man than the Father who hears in secret. So the question for us as we think about Jesus and what he says in these few verses is why do we pray? And I think Jesus gets at a few things here. Number one, we pray because of God's love for us. I mean, did you see what, what he says there at the very end of this passage? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. And I think that that gets at God's love for us. Number one, that God reveals himself to us. Right, go back to that definition I gave you at the very beginning. The reason that we have personal communication with God is because he's revealed himself to us. 
You might follow all kinds of people online and in social media and through the news, but you probably don't have personal communication with those people. Why? Because they've never introduced themselves to you. But for us, God has introduced himself to us. That's the story of the gospel, that God created everything. And in the very beginning, God's design was perfect. Everything was created perfectly. Man and women and children and animals, everything was in perfect harmony. What the Bible calls shalom, peace. But our sin came in and our sin led to brokenness. And because of our brokenness, we were separated from God. And even though God had revealed himself to us, that relationship with God was broken. And in our brokenness, what we try to do is find every conceivable way to fix the brokenness in and of our own power. But God sent his son, Jesus. And that's the gospel. The life, death. And resurrection of Jesus. Jesus going to the cross and dying for our sins and resurrecting from the grave, defeating sin, death, and hell. And because of the gospel, we're able to have a right relationship with God. We're able to be reconciled to God. When we respond to that gospel, when we repent and believe, repent of our sins, turning away from our sins, and in faith, trusting Jesus. When we do that, we recover and pursue God's design. And so the very fact that God has revealed himself to us, that we know God as our Father, is a reminder to us that God loves us. But God also hears us. Look at Psalm 55, verses 16 through 17. Look at what it says. But I call to God. The psalmist calls to God, and and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan. And what does God do? He hears my voice look at what the apostle john says in first john 5 14 through 15 and this is the confidence that we have toward him that is god that if we ask anything according to his will he does what he hears us and if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask we know that we have the request that we have asked of him And those are just two passages among many in the Bible that is a reminder of who God is and what God has done for us and the fact that God hears us. If I, as a father of two children, can hear my kids, and listen, I'm not the perfect dad, but our Father in heaven is perfect. If I can hear my kids, do you think our Father in heaven hears us? That the yes is the correct answer, right? God loves us. He reveals himself to us. He hears us. But lastly, he answers us. Look at what Isaiah 30, 19 says. For a people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, what? He answers it. What is Isaiah getting at? The very thing that Jesus is saying. You don't have to keep pleading with God. If you ask, he hears and he answers. This is one of my favorite passages in the gospel. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 11. He says, I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks 
finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What Jesus is getting at here, he's using the example, the illustration of a, of a father, and he says, listen, you guys aren't even that great of parents, but you give good gifts to your kids. God is a far better father than any of you are as parents. And he's going to always answer and give good gifts. Now next week we're going to talk about this. Next week we're going to get into our Father in Heaven. And I know for many of us, we didn't have the example of a father in our life. But here's what I want you to understand and see. The model and the example for a father in our lives is not our earthly father. The model and example for a father in our life is God our Father. And so the most important thing, you, you can't transpose, well, this is what my earthly father was like, and therefore this is what my father in heaven is like. No, this is who God the Father is, and your earthly father didn't measure up to that. And so you don't look to your earthly father to assume this is how God in heaven is. Jesus is reminding us our, our Father in heaven is a good, loving, all-powerful, compassionate, perfect Father. When you call out, He will answer. He will not only hear you, He will answer you. You know, sometimes I think we ask or we don't ask because we assume they're not going to hear or they're not going to answer. I mean, just think about your own personal life. There, there are times in life where I'm like, you know what, I'm just not going to ask that person because they're probably not going to hear me or they're not going to answer me. And I think we carry that over into our prayer lives. What Jesus in the Lord's Prayer and what Jesus in this story reminds us is that God always hears. And God always answers. Sometimes the answer we, we don't like. You know what? Every once in a while, I tell my kids no. <laughs> right? Can I be on that tablet one more time? Can I play that game one more time? Can I stay up later one more time? No, no, no. Right? That's my favorite word. No. Right? I'm kidding. I'm not heartless. So sometimes God tells us no. Sometimes I have to tell my kids, not yet. Wait. Right? I, yesterday, we bought cookies for them. They wanted to eat the cookie before dinner. What did I say? Not yet. Sometimes God's answers are not the answers we want, but He still answers us. We pray because God loves us. But lastly, I want us to say, see that we also pray because of our love for God as well. Our relationship with God is a reciprocal relationship. It's one in which God demonstrates his love for us, and it's another in which we demonstrate our love for God. And part of the way in which we seek him in our love for him is through prayer. 
And so I think our love for God is displayed in three particular areas. Number one, we humbly seek God. That it is an active approach toward God. You, you can't, listen, when you were dating, right? Pastor John just got engaged. If you didn't believe God answers prayer, you ain't looking close enough. Love you. Every relationship is two ways. He sought Amber, Amber sought him. God is the same way. Are you humbly seeking God? Because here's what I can tell you. God has come to you. And if you don't think God has come to you, you need to go look at Jesus. Because God has come to you in Jesus. So what we have to do is humbly seek God. Don't forget the word humble, humility. Because we're coming to our Father, not our best friend. Yes, Jesus is our friend, but first and foremost, God is our Father. So we humbly seek God. Number two, we, our love for God should cause us to confidently trust God. I hope that my kids confidently trust Dad. Because they know that I have what's best for them. I have their best interest in mind. And what you need to be reminded of when you seek the Lord is that God always has your best. Always. So you confidently trust him. Even if you know the answer that he has for you isn't the answer you want. You trust him. Our love for God should lead us lastly to joyfully experience God. Part of what I love being a dad or being a husband or being in any sort of relationship is simply enjoying the relationship. And the challenge for us is to not treat God like the genie in the lamp. Where all we're doing is rubbing the lamp and using God to try and get what we want. When my kids try to use me, I don't want to give them what they want. But when they want to like come hang out with dad and wrestle with dad and snuggle with dad, I mean, you, they could ask for just about anything, right? <laughs> and for us, as we think about our love for God, are we humbly seeking God and confidently trusting God? But is all of that leading us to simply joyfully experience God? Because this isn't a tit for tat. This isn't God. If you do this, I'll do that. This is a relationship with God. Does your love for God lead you to want to joyfully experience God? Because that, in the end, is why we pray. Because we are in relationship with God. If we know Jesus Christ, God is our Father. And therefore, we are then in relationship with God. And like any good relationship, we pursue God. That's why we pray. As we close, I want to ask you three more questions. A lot of questions today, right? But hopefully they're questions to get you thinking and contemplating and processing your own life. And the first question is this, are you praying? Right, Jesus made that assumption. He assumed that every single one of us, if we know God is our Father, we're praying. But you have to be honest with yourself. Are you seeking out the Lord? Some of you are struggling to pray because you're not setting aside the time to pray. 
And you've got to change some priorities in your life to begin to seek the Lord. Some of you are like, I don't know how to pray. Guess who taught us to pray? Jesus. Go to Matthew 6 and look exactly at what Jesus says and begin to take that prayer and pray it. Last week, that's exactly what we did in this gathering. We spent the entire morning breaking down the Lord's Prayer and praying through it as a church. Number two, who are you praying to? I don't take it for granted that every single one of us in this room call God as our Father. And the only way that you can have God as your Father is if you have Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Where you recognize, in in the Lord's Prayer, what does Jesus say? Forgive us our debts. Why? Because we have sinned against God. The only way that we can be made right and have God as our Father is if we turn away from our sins, repent of our sins, and in faith, trust Jesus, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to save us. And when we do that, we can then begin to pray to the Father. Who are you praying to? Lastly, do you pray more for the praise of man or because of the love of God? Why are you praying? Who do you want to hear you? Who do you want to see you? Let's pray for all the right reasons to be seen and heard by our Father. Let's pray. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for making a way to be made right with you, God, that we can call out and seek you as our Father. This morning, God, I pray that we would process those questions, that we would really ask why we're praying, or if we're not praying, when are we going to start praying? Who do we pray to, God, that today would be maybe for some a day of salvation? God, I pray that this time of response would just simply be that, a time of response. A time of prayer for us, God, that where we would put aside every single distraction and all things that are going on in our lives and simply seek you. And so help us now as we respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.